I'm Rebecca Lehrer. And I'm Amy Choi, and this is The Mash of Americans, the show by, for, and all about hyphen America. And today, we are launching our Mashups to Know series. We are shining a light on some amazing mashups. They're all people we are sure you're going to be hearing and seeing everywhere pretty soon. Before the Emmys, before the breakout movies, we know that these folks are the shit because... Well, you know, we're paying attention and we mm-hmm. see the future because we are the future. I think that should be just the thing that we print on like all of our tote bags now. I feel like we need to like integrate <laughs> my bad eyesight, your eye surgery and us being soothsayers. Soothsayers? Soothsayers. Is that thing? Soothsayers. <laughs> anyway, so yes, that is what we are doing today on this first installment of Mashups to Know with the crazy funny Marcella Arguello. I used to work as a bank teller. And I'll never forget the first guy that ever hit on me. He was adorable, charming, asked me to dinner, and I would have said yes if I didn't know he had negative $76 in his account. I was like, we're not even in a relationship, and you already owe me money. Her humor is so perfect for me. It's just so smart and sharp and dry, but not mean. I I just love it so much, and I loved talking to her in person. She even gave us her recipe for curtido, which we're putting on our site, obviously. And Mm -hmm. it just makes me feel so seen to talk about curtido on our show. Oh, it makes me feel so seen to eat the curtido. So (laughs) more on that in just a minute. We have four more Mashups to Know coming your way, so don't miss a single episode. Subscribe. Become a regular listener on applepodcast.com slash mashup or Stitcher or Overcast, literally wherever you listen. And leave us a rating. We want to hear from you, and it helps people discover us. We are so happy to have Marcela Arguello on the show today. We know her as a comedian and host slash curator of Women Crush Wednesdays at the Hollywood Improv, an all-female lineup that is one of the best comedy shows in L.A. She's shining light and finding and sharing the voices we want to hear. I, I went last week and truly I laughed so fucking hard. I like <laughs> weeping, crying and... <laughs> She's a Salvadoran Californian like me, our first Salvadoran guest on the show that wasn't my mom. Shout out, Mia. Um, but definitely, Marcella is going places. She's repeatedly on best of list of female comics, and she's a six-time winner on Comedy Central's At Midnight. She's also helping our planet as a writer on Bill Nye Saves the World for Netflix. She's literally everywhere in the comedy world, and she is about to be everywhere, everywhere. You can just feel it. But honestly, none of that would matter if she weren't just really fucking funny, and she is. <laughs> hmm So let's get right to our interview with Marcella. So, Marcella Arguello, how do you mesh up? I am Salvadoran, Lebanese, Nicaraguan, Spanish, uh, first-generation comedian who loves fucking all types of dudes. I mean, that's the best type. Yeah. (laughs) What is always in your fridge? Oh, boy. Curtido. I always try to make curtido and keep it in there. Right now, I don't have any, which is kind of a bummer. 
but I've been on the road, so it's hard. Um, From that, we're going to have to get your recipe for that. Yeah. And <laughs> it's, like the, it's a quick, it's like the, what's your the lazy women's. You get the shredded cabbage already, like the pre yeah. like coleslaw, basically. Yeah. You get a package of coleslaw. Yeah. You just add the vinegar, the water, oregano, salt, um, basil. Is it basil? Or no, the bay, bay leaves. leaves. I'm sorry, yeah. bay leaves. How long do you leave it to sort of pickle? It it stays pickling because I love vinegar and I love sour. Yeah, duh, tangy is my favorite so, flavor. Yeah, but uh, I know a lot of people that remove, you know, they are wrong. The, 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 wa- the, the water. Yeah, they're and, wrong. And um, I love tartness, so yeah, I just leave it in there. I let it soak. It's so good. <sighs> this has already started out so well. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, like how everyone's talking about being seen when somebody <laughs> talks about curtido, and I don't like to explain things to people on our show. But when you go get pupusas, that's what's served on the side, and it's just pickled, pickled cabbage. cabbage, and, and it's so good. And we all love a kimchi, it's a, like kimchi. sauerkraut. Yeah, we all exactly. love a pickled cabbage. Yeah. It's just it's not necessarily fermented. I think that's yeah, the yeah. difference. It's more like a quick pickle. Um, what do you spend money on that your parents never would? You know what? My parents like to spend money. I spend the way they spend, you know, um, semi-frivolous, semi-saving, you know, always thinking about the future, but always being like, but I will look cute in this too, you know. My mom loves shopping. I would probably spend more on clothes if my body fit more clothes that's in stores, but I'm so long that it's hard to find stuff. But um, my parents raised me to enjoy my money. Save it and enjoy it. That seems ideal. Yeah. I, I think that's like how it should you, be. your next level up is going to be just custom-made clothes. You know, I've thought about that, but I there's funness in finding treasures. But I'll go with my friend Nico. He is Mr. Loves to spend money, too much money on so many things, but it's not too much for him. <laughs> so I love joining him and being like, ooh, I would look great in this if I wanted to spend 2000 on a jacket. I've already, by the way, developed a massive friend crush on you and Nico together, just hanging out, oh, shopping we, You know, you want to hear a funny story about me and Nico? We used to, like, go out to the Divia's Bar in, in West Hollywood and buy the cheapest drinks, kind of share them a little bit. You sip a little bit, I'll sip a little bit. It's just the sweetest thing to watch him doing so well and watching him also level up, you know, because uh, it's it's so nice. But hard work pays off. Okay, so tell us a little bit about Women Crush Wednesdays, um, the weekly comedy show you host in L.A. How did it start? Was mashiness always kind of baked in? So Women Crush Wednesdays started as an open mic at the Comedy Store about Four years ago, maybe, they had this little small, small room upstairs that Mitzi Shore created to kind of shut the women up because the women weren't getting any stage time. And it's really heavily influenced by misogyny, that that room. And um, I pitched to them like, OK, let's just try a women's open mic. Only women. So you guys can see all the women that are in, in the area and give me a Wednesday once a month. We were doing it. It was really fucking cool i loved it all the women from all the backgrounds came and it was so fun and like i would do fun stuff like my mom was giving getting getting rid of her costume jewelry so i like brought it (laughs) with me and i was like if anybody wants jewelry take a piece of jewelry it was just like so femme driven and and fun and and great and then the comedy store because they're misogynist pieces of shit they really gave me the runaround and was just really really bad and so I kind of ended that because I was like, no, 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 this is something that's going to exist somewhere, someplace, someday, and it's going to be even bigger than this. And they don't get it, but I get it because it's mine. And so um, we moved it and it's really fun. I make a strong effort to make sure that it's diverse, mm-hmm. that there's not just in terms of ethnicity and background and race, 
but um, also in age. You know, mm-hmm. I try to make sure that I'm booking women who are, are older and maybe people are just overlooking because why would they give them stage time? They can't help them, which is so fucked up because it's like, oh, that's not really what comedy is about. It's about hearing people's perspectives. So it's been really nice to have such a fun show every week and people come back and they come back and they come back. Like sometimes they know everybody in line up and sometimes they have no idea of any of these people, but they don't care because they know that they're Marcella approved. Yeah. And I have my standards. Yeah. I still give five minutes to younger comics who uh, are eager and enthusiastic because I think about how when I was starting out in L.A., it's, the scenes are so segregated. Mm-hmm. It's the black scene. It's the white scene, which is the alt scene, mm. and then the club scene. And very rarely do people navigate all three mm. and, and well, and because they're all hard. Yeah. They're all hard to break into. And I was lucky that the, the black scene really embraced me when I got out here because they just like new voices mm-hmm. and they just have more fun. They're just more easygoing about shit. Mm-hmm. And the alt scene was really hard to break through. And they were real uppity. They still are. But now I'm, I have credit, so they're a little cooler with me. The white alt scene? Yeah, the white alt scene. The club scene, it's like, if you don't have a club act, they're not going to work with you. But if, right. but you can easily break into the club scene if you have a club act, um, which I did have, and I still have. Can I ask, just for my own edification, what is a club act? There's a way to do a set in a club. There's also a way to behave in a club on stage. Mm. And that has its rhythms. Of, of course, if you've... If had, you're established, you can do whatever you, can you dare, want to do. You know, yeah. you look at Brian Weinbach, he can go anywhere and do anything he wants because he's more established. Yeah. But, uh, like, when you're starting, you definitely have to, like, prove that, like, no, no, you can be trusted and, and well-behaved and you're not going to disrespect any of the other comics, especially the bigger comics, the headliners. Mm, right. So a younger comic who is starting out, you have to host. So if you know how to host a show, proper club show, mm-hmm. you can get a lot of work. Well, I think there's something really interesting about that because especially in the in the work that you do with Women Crush Wednesdays, even though you're you know, you're curating it very carefully, you're giving space to people who aren't necessarily going to be accepted on other stages. And we think a lot about who gatekeepers are right. and how if you don't have a network if you don't have like generational institutional knowledge how do you know what the rules of engagement are even if you're hustling so hard even if you're super talented like there's so many things that you can like kind of inadvertently do so i was very lucky i came up in san francisco because molly schminke she's the booker at the punchline up there she definitely taught us like this is how you host and if you don't do this you can't work in my club Mm. you can bomb all you want but if you can't do the rhythm of hosting i can't hire you in some ways it was school yeah, she it was. was teaching you the kind of right. way to do it. And everybody learned. Like, you all kind of had to help each other and teach each other. New York has that, but LA doesn't have that, which is part of the reason I did a comedy seminar for women only at the Hollywood Improv because people aren't learning these things and they're so easy and they don't have access to them because they don't even realize that just get a mentor just and sometimes people don't know what to ask a mentor but once you start the conversation it will get there but so who are some of your mentors and how you know i think about this we think about this in terms of knowing the like amy said like knowing kind of the rules a little rules of engagement that then you can break so larry co martin was my mentor when i moved to la um she was a writer for she's currently a writer at conan she's been there for a very long time i kind of just was like can you please be my mentor and she was like I don't know what that means I was like just answer any question I have she was like I can do that and it was great if it wasn't for her I don't think I would be where I'm at right now just mentally mm-hmm. and she basically was like hold off on writing jobs because if you love stand-up as much as I do which I think you do um writing jobs will just suck you in because the money is so good and I was like damn that's that's honest and then she was very open about her experience she had with her son you know she was 40 when she had him 
which is a great age if you can make it work. But she was open and honest about that experience as well, both negative and positive. And it was so refreshing to hear because, you know, in the Latino culture, it's like not okay to not have kids over 30. Mm-hmm. It's like, what are you wasting your time on? Mm-hmm. And she was a mentor for just a few years, but it's when I needed it. I need, like, I knew I needed some guidance. Mm-hmm. And she was so helpful. Um, but I kind of like force everybody to be my mentor in a way because you can learn something from everyone. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the mistake that a lot of people make is that they aren't constantly searching for knowledge and information when they have access to it. Okay, so we want to talk about being bilingual in humor. In my experience, like my mom will like see Saturday Night Live and is just like, this is not funny. And I wonder if you've figured out in your family what's funny at home. Is there a difference between what's funny to the to your family members in their kind of relationship to their Americanness? Absolutely. And I'm lucky that I'm the youngest in my family. So I taught myself to adapt to everyone's humor, even with my, my grandmother who would visit, she started coming when I was in junior high. And, I, you know, my Spanish was not great at that time. You know, English is my second language, but, you know, my parents were encouraging us to assimilate. Of course, they were. It was the 80s. There was no, there was no certainty. They of didn't, course. Nobody knew there was going to be this big Latino boom. And they had to learn English, too. My mom needed to learn English, so she was learning it through us. And so, um, as a result, my Spanish was very bad. So, by the time my grandma came, I was having a hard time communicating with her. And I did one theater production in high school. And, you know, my grandma was visiting at the time, but, you know, it was all in English. So afterwards, I was like, oh, did grandma like hate it? Did she have a terrible time? My mom was like, she was laughing so much because you were so physical on stage. And I was like, oh, my gosh, duh, 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 duh. Yeah. Of course. Like, that's all she needed to kind of get what was going on with me. And uh, that was one of those moments where I was like, I will never underestimate the power of slapstick humor. Totally. You know, because I think right. a lot of people, you know, turn their nose up to it, but it's like, it's universal. So can you just tell us about how your family ended up in California from El Salvador? Was that, was there a straight route? And was it, you said Nicaragua and El Salvador? Are your parents? He, so my paternal grandfather um, was Nicaraguan and he was exiled from Nicaragua. So he ended up in El Salvador. Mm-hmm. It was government shit. Like, I can't get the straight story. I wish my dad was still alive so I can just be like, because I didn't know that. My grandmother on my father's side that Lebanese roots are late 1800s, early 1900s. They migrated because of, um, you know, civil war and all that crap. And they went down to Central America. In fact, Ugly Delicious uh, on Netflix, which is such a great show, they have an episode about tacos. Yeah. And they even talk about the huge migration from Middle East into Mexico. Well, yeah, like um, tacos al pastor mm-hmm. are, you know, it's essentially shawarma, mm-hmm. except then it eventually became pork mm-hmm. but yeah mm-hmm. so it's really cool yeah. when people actually know their history yeah because it turns into it's not that i because so many people were like you don't look latina and it's like no no no, i do it's just that my history is so much different than your history yep. mm-hmm. but that it's it, it's like america where people just don't know where they come from so yeah so so my grandma's in el salvador my my grandfather ends up in el salvador they you know like my dad my dad is um artist musician he was in um um, Los Hermanos Flores in mm. El Salvador mm-hmm. in the late 70s. He, you know, travels the world and he actually ends up in America 
meets a white lady. They have a baby in Texas. Uh, my brother Isaac, my half brother Isaac, and we met a few years ago, and it was really cool. He looks exactly like my dad. It was so crazy. And but he ends up being like, I don't want to live in Texas. He's like, I'm super salvy. Like I yeah. can't do this. You know, <laughs> a white Texas family. He, that's just so not what he wanted. I don't want that either. And he knew and he didn't know that. And yeah. you know, that's what's you know heartbreaking for my my half brother. You know, yeah. because that broke that family up, and then it it you know changed the course of his life as well. Um, so I feel for him on that end. But my dad was like determined to have a salvy family and a salvy wife, and so he goes ends up back in El Salvador. And then my mom, she was 19, and she was at a show, and she saw my dad, and she was like, oh, he's cute. And my dad was like, who is this tall Salvi chick? And she's only like 5'8", five, 5'9", five, but that's like so tall over there. Yeah. <laughs> and, my, and my mom's side is all just super indigenous and super Salvi, and um, they live in like in a small little pueblo, the, the poorest of the poor, you know? My dad is like, who's that girl? And my mom was like, no way, sir, I am not interested in you. And then she was on the bus with her friend, her best friend, my tia Lilia, who's my godmother. And they're on the bus. And my dad in his little VW bug, he spots her like, oh, my God, there she is. There's that girl again. And he just takes his VW and he follows that bus and follows that bus. And he's like, he was stop, really he's like, putting in the work at this. point. Yes, he was putting in the work <laughs> at that point. And he's just like waving her down and flagging her down. And she finally was like, oh, I guess we should get off the bus and talk to this dude, this psychopath. Uh, and, and then that's, that's it. That's the history. And they ended up, you know, having my brother in El Salvador, my oldest brother. And then, um, the civil war got mm-hmm. crazy, too crazy. And my, my tia Dilia, it's so vague, the information people will give you, mm-hmm. whether they're ashamed of their, their past or they're, it's just like so fucked up. Like, I don't know anymore what the real stories are, but my tia Dilia, her brother was murdered. Her dad was murdered. Like everyone yeah. was getting murdered left and right. And it was no coincidence. And it was basically like, if she doesn't leave, she's going to get murdered. Yeah. So my dad and my, went to um, her mother and asked if she could go with them. And so she was like, yeah, that's cool. So then my my dad, because of his previous marriage, he had a green card. So he was able to just get to the States, like, no problem. Mm-hmm. But my mom and my brother, they had to do the hiding in the orange crate, you know, yeah. in the back of a truck type thing. Mm-hmm. and. And with, with my tia Lilia, and um, they crossed the border in Texas. My mom said in San Antonio at the airport, she had her her first meal, which is a bowl of chili beans. She said it was the most delicious bowl of chili beans I've ever <laughs> had. And, and, you know, she never had chili beans. No. I wasn't surprised when I, when she told me that story when I got much older. Because I was like, no wonder she makes chili beans all the time. <laughs> like, she loves... And I love chili beans because of her. I know, she but makes isn't that so, funny? That's like the that welcoming funny? food and the way that we think about how now for you that's part of your growing up yes. and your sense of food and identity yes. is that and that like these just touch points of connection i mean that's actually how we started mashup as it was this like idea of like i didn't know like lime in my matzo ball soup like and then like occurred to me like you know of course german jews didn't put cilantro and lime in their soup right. this is a salvadoran situation right right and it, like did have i just did not know yeah like i i didn't process the kind of layers of movement and that's the other thing too is that unless you're asking those questions too with within you know your family you don't always find out you know like there's so much i've learned especially since since my dad passed away because my mom has gotten so more open and she even 
had said like she wished that my dad had been more open with us with our with his history so that mm. we could know but i think it was just so traumatic his upbringing mm. that he just was like wanted to forget so much and it's mm. so shitty because i'm like but i i want to know i want to yeah. know what, what the history is we've actually but, thought about that i mean this is something too that like we as first generation americans like uh, there's so, there's so much gratitude for mm-hmm. the fact that like a life was kind of laid out for us like mm-hmm. we were able to create ourselves and our identity while still having traditions to draw from and there's something that's like best of both worlds about that and also because everybody came here because of some sort of trauma right, right? like there's exactly. always a war there's always yeah. a genocide there's the yeah. like, there, or, there's, some... or there's a total lack of opportunity right, right? Exactly. Like, i mean even in the best of circumstances someone gets to come to school in the states right right, right it's right. because that's the way to get to the next level or level up right. as you say right yeah yeah, right. and then there's so much longing that I hear in your voice and that I know that I've experienced myself just being like, what actually happened? Whereas the people that experienced it don't necessarily want to talk about what yeah, actually happened. Yeah, but I mean, happened. also part of that, too, is the fact that, you know, I have three siblings who are all older and they have no interest in any mm. of it, which I'm like, I don't get. And sometimes I, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that I'm so white passing and people think that I'm white that it creates this desire to be like, you don't understand. Like I get real defensive mm-hmm. about my background um, mm. and my siblings don't have that. My, my siblings have been discriminated against since they were kids, since they were babies because they have brown skin. And my, my oldest brother had just a thick salvi accent, you know, and, and I didn't have any, any of that. I mean, I had an accent when I was little, little, but it, it went away after a while. Is that what brought you to doing stand up and to performing, doing comedy? Is that seeking or, or, you know, no, it was just a desire for attention. Let's be honest. Uh, I was a small, I was the youngest of, of four in a big family. And to my father and my grandmother's credit, they were both entertainers. You know, they both right. were singers in El Salvador, and it's in my blood. Like, and at a certain point, my dad talked some relatives into moving to Modesto. But for the most part, for a long time, it was just the six of us. It was just the six of us, which is why I'm so ride or die about family and community. And because it's like, if you can't help each other, like you ain't shit. And I was looking at this picture where, I don't know if it was Christmas or New Year's Eve or whatever it was, but we had so many parties. Yes, we're going to have a big New Year's Eve party. Yes, we're going to have a big Christmas party. But it was just the six of us. <laughs> and we would take our dolls and we would put them in different spots. And we were like, this is our party. These are all our guests. <laughs> and my parents were so like, yep, these are our guests. And I'm going to dance with this guest. And I'm going to go over here and talk to this guest. And the creativeness yeah. was infinite. We're dressed up so that we can remember this New Year's that we had together. And it was so cool because I was like, see, this is the reason I perform. This is the reason I'm an entertainer because this is in my blood and it's just in it's in every inch of me. This is amazing. I, I think this idea of building community that you did with your family and w- with the comedians that you work with and that you help, you know, help them get their their glow up. Like, what are you hoping that people are taking away from your shows? You know, when I go into meetings in the industry and people ask me what my goals are, I say to inspire women. Mm -hmm. I mean, if I end up with a TV show, cool. But if it's not inspiring women, I don't want to do it. Mm. If I'm going to, if I end up in a movie, cool. But if it's not something that is of substance, I'm not going to do it. Like I do not go in to these like really obnoxious auditions for these roles where it's like, Oh, and then her nipples were protruding through her chest. And like, I yelled at my agents for sending me an audition like that. Like you guys, this is not me. And, Mm. And if you think this is me, we aren't compatible. And so 
every time I do anything, it's it's to inspire women, especially black and brown women, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. because it's like that's my heart. That's yeah. what made me stronger and better and, and good in the world, you know? Yeah. So that's what I want. And I, I don't know. I don't I don't know what people take when they come to my shows. Not to say I don't care, because it, if it's just a laugh, then that's cool. But my concern usually when I do a show, I'm like, as long as I got some new women uh, fans, I'm happy. First of all, I love hearing about your family. It feels very related to mine. But as women, and also often as mashups, we are not encouraged to sort of embrace our ambition. Right. And so what is next and what is your big ambition? I don't know what's next. I'm working on a lot of things and it's a matter of if something gets picked up or not. I don't really worry about that shit too much because I know I'll be fine. Um, I've kind of gone through the worst of my worst years already in my career, in my personal life. So I don't really worry about anything beyond what's going on now because I think for so long I was so stressed out about the future, the future, the future. And it, the future's fine. Like if you do life right, you you can't predict what's going to happen. Right. And that's what I like, which is like so not who I was when I was in my early 20s. I was so like rigid and prudish and strict on myself and... Uh, I've just learned to kind of go with the flow, which is cool. It's something that happened in my 30s, and I'm glad because it's made my life so much better. Like, yeah, I have a couple of projects lined up. One might sell, and they all might not, and that's also fine. There'll be something. There'll be some other opportunities. My friends are also looking out for me, so I don't really have to worry about anything. Yeah, but just getting to inspire women and make great work. Make great work, yeah. And even if it's not great, it's okay to be <laughs> mediocre. White people get to be mediocre all the time. So. Yeah. I'm kind of embracing mediocrity a little bit. I'm so tired of being excellent. I am. It's (laughs) exhausting. It's so much work. It's exhausting. (laughs) I I sleep better when I'm uh, when I've kind of uh, allowed myself to be lazy. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. That's there's that a is lot my big ambition. That is my ambition. It's true. But this is like shit I've just learned recently. You know, because I, dude, I fainted at the airport last year, and it was so awful. Oh my god! And my and it was I was exhausted. I was overworked. I was going through a breakup of someone who was so shitty to me, and still looks like he's a good guy. And that's how he is perceived by his friends. And when I look back, I'm like, oh, I was mentally and physically ill, and I had no idea. Yeah. And so I was just falling apart on every at every level, and I was exhausted, and I was newly diagnosed with PTSD. I was on medication for something that was happening with me physically, and I fainted at the airport. And my instinct, the first thing to do was take a picture of it, which I was like, oh, I have a social media problem. That was the first time I was like, there's something wrong with that. Like, I just made things actually worse. I just exhausted myself further. It's sort of that Hannah Gatsby's narrative, like how you're now trying to reframe the story for somebody else rather than just be like, this is all kind of shitty. And it's part of the story that I'm as I'm still experiencing it. And it's not kind to yourself. Right. And then the, my, my second instinct was to make a phone call. And you would think that you would call, I don't know, my mom? Mm-hmm. No, I called my manager to say, I fainted at the airport, but I'm catching the next flight. I'll be there. I'll be at the show. And she was like, uh, are you okay? Are you sure? And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah it's fine. I'm, I signed the waiver. I can get on the flight. It's fine. I get on the flight. I have a breakdown on the flight. Of course I do. Because I'm like, what just happened? Why am I on this flight? Why mm-hmm. am I sitting here? 20 minutes in the sky, the pilot gets on the on the mic and he's like, we have to make an emergency landing. Um, we're having mechanical problems, whatever, whatever. But then I just start hysterically laughing like, oh, yeah, sometimes a universe slaps you 
across the face and says, no, no, you are not supposed to get on this flight. You are wearing yourself too thin. And I basically flew across the country to take a bath in a hotel in Washington, (laughs) D.C., And I missed my gig, but, you know, it was all fine. Like, you know, I got, like, refunded on my flight. A cute little hotel in Washington, D.C. And so I was like, you know what? This is good. This is, I haven't taken a bath in a long time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was like, it was, a, it was a lot for me. That was one of the more uh, life-changing moments for me where I was like, oh, if I don't look out for myself, no one's going to look out for me, you know? Well, I think that that's such a good, it's kind of a good way to wrap up because I think it's really reflective of what we talk a lot about at Mashup. And I just want to say, from my perspective, because Amy, we've had a lot of Korean people on the show. It's a true story. But (laughs) it is such a pleasure and gives me so much joy to have another Salvadoran woman, Salvadoran American woman. I'm glad you invited me. This is great. It feels so parallel. So thank you for coming here. No, thank you for having me. Thank you so much. This was amazing. Oh, wow. Exhausted by excellence and needing to look out for ourselves. Uh, that feels that feels relevant to my everyday life. Oh, talk about relating. But also, <laughs> like, you and I are becoming so kind tired. of in, in Instagram <laughs> quote whores. We just, like, message back and forth Instagram quotes about needing to take a break and how hard it is. <laughs> anyway, there's just so much here. If her goal is to inspire women, thank you. Because it worked. Because I feel inspired. And cosign, amen, yes, all of it. This is also why we do what we do. So it's so nice to find kindred spirits. Ugh, love a kindred spirit. That's it for this week, Kindred Spirits. You can learn more about Marcella's comedy and find her at a club near you. She's always traveling. Um, MarcellaComedy.com. And if you know any other mashups on the rise, other women inspiring women, folks who are making it happen and bringing their community along with them, tell us. Send us your pics at yo at mashupamericans.com. This episode has been produced by Lizzie Jacobs, Erica Romero, and the Mashup Americans Creative Studio. Our theme music is by DJ Rob Swift, what what, with additional music by A Lot Momin. Find us on social at Mashup American and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, applepodcast.com slash mashup. Thanks for listening. Ciao.